We need a hero. I think uh, heroes kind of captivate our minds. And I'll be honest, when I think about heroes, I immediately think about superheroes. And when I think about superheroes, I think Marvel. Um, I just uh, I love the Marvel characters. I think about kind of the extraordinary powers and abilities of a young and shy Peter Parker, you know, the amazing Spider-Man. I mean, web-slinger, my personal favorite. I love Spider-Man. You know, I think about how he developed his uh, spider-like powers and how he kind of comes to terms with the fact that with great power comes great responsibility. And so he kind of commits himself to crime fighting and saving lives. In fact, he commits himself to it at a very personal cost. That's what heroes do, isn't it? Think about a sick guy uh, from Brooklyn by the name of Steve Rogers. You know, how he transforms into a super soldier, Captain America. And I think about Bruce Banner and how he lives this life in isolation because he's really battling with anger issues. You know, when he's provoked, he becomes the Incredible Hulk. And here's what I'm curious about this morning. Who's your favorite superhero? And what I want to do on the, on the count of three, I just want you to yell out your favorite, all right? All right? Are you ready? One, two, three. All right, Spider-Man won. All right. Marvel's had quite a run, I think, at the box office. There's Spider-Man, there's Iron Man, there's the Hulk, X-Man, Elektra, Daredevil, Captain America, Thor, Fantastic Four, Blade. I could go on and on. They're, They're all part of the superhero franchise. Marvel just released The Avenger. In fact, how many of you have seen The Avenger? Just curious. All right. It is proving to be the biggest ever. It's smashing the records at the box office. It crushed the one for the biggest opening weekend. Uh, fastest movie to gross a billion dollars. Internationally, it's blown away the records. And uh, it's amazing. And you think about how far the Avengers have come since its creation. 1963, you know, Stan Lee kind of envisioned... Uh, this um, superhero team, you know, Earth's mightiest heroes. And the Avengers were assembled because they, they needed to take on a terrible foe. In fact, to bring justice to the land was, was, their, was their call, to bring justice. We're starting a series, calling it The Avenger. And we're going to study a guy by the name of Samson. Samson was a superhuman. He's kind of the superhero of the Old Testament, and by all accounts, he was the strongest man that's ever walked this planet. This marvel of God was born for one purpose, to bring justice to the land, to bring justice for Israel. And I want to go through a little bit of history because I think we've got to understand the time in which Samson was living. We're going to kind of unpack part of the book of Judges. And I would encourage you 
to this week to read chapters 13 through 16. Read it through this series. Just keep rereading it. And it'll help you understand where, where we're going. But here's the situation. Israel needs a hero. They need someone to save them from themselves. The fact is, it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Israel had this history of kind of collectively thumbing their nose at God and sinning. And so they would repeat this cycle of sin over and over and over again. If you read through the Old Testament, they, they would take and God would have his hand of protection on them. And then they would sin and God would take his hand of protection off of them. And they would experience the consequences of their sin. They would spin out. Then God would send a deliverer, uh, a judge sometimes, or a prophet, a, a godly man or a godly woman. And they would be a voice of God among the, the crowd. And so they would repent and they would return to God. And so God would deliver them, whether it be from captivity or from exile or from domination, being ruled by somebody. This happened over and over and over in Israel's history. At this point in their history, the Philistines have now dominated them for 40 years. The Philistines were sea people. Uh, They were on the western coast of Palestine. They basically were pirates, and they were powerful, and they totally outgunned Israel, and really in two main areas that they gained an advantage— One was in the area of trade. In other words, they had a corner on the iron market at that time. They were more advanced. They knew how to uh, smelt uh, iron. And so basically Israel, if they'd uh, break an axe or a plow or something, they would head to one of five Philistine cities. And they would get a replacement or they would get something repaired because they didn't have the ability to do it themselves. The other area that they were dominated and that gave the Philistines an advantage was the Philistines were okay with marrying Israelites. And so what happened over time was Israelites would marry Philistines and they began accepting their pagan worship. They began adopting their their ungodly practices, their un godly lifestyles. So what happened over time, they got lulled to sleep. They kind of were rendered helpless and hopeless. They're being ruled by the Philistines. Most of Israel was okay with that. Again, that's the backdrop. We have a husband and wife team that emerges from among the Israelites. A husband and wife that were faithful to God. They, they stood out in the crowd for being godly people. And this couple longed to have a child. I mean, they had tried, but, but they couldn't. But they wanted a child so bad. You know, and I think about it, it's something a lot of people deal with these days. I was reading an article recently. One in three couples today experience infertility. 
And basically, it's very silent. It's very difficult. It's depressing. I, I imagine that this couple, it was a tough time for them. They were struggling. They, there were times when I know they had to look around at society. And they're looking and thinking, you know what? We know all kinds of people that are unfaithful to God. They've got children. I mean, even the ungodly people, the Philistines, they have children. We, we'd make great parents. We're, we're faithful. We would raise a son or a daughter. We'd raise them in a godly home. Everybody's having babies but us. But this couple, I mean, they're struggling with that reality if you read, read through the scriptures. But in the midst of it, in the midst of this ungodly society, this couple remains very, very faithful. Very faithful. Birth announcements. <laughs> They're kind of popular these days. Uh, I don't know if you, you've received any. Maybe you've sent them out. But they usually, it's a card, includes two or three pictures. And when you get it, I mean, babies are precious, Right? doesn't matter what they look like. You just go, ah, you know, they're just precious. But it's interesting because they'll, they'll, you'll get one of these cards, and sometimes it's just uh, right up front. It goes, welcome to the world, and it tells you the child's name and gives you the pictures. Sometimes they're creative, like uh, I've seen them where it's our little rookie, you know, and it'll be a cardinal or a cub or something like that, but it'll look like a baseball card or a scorecard. And the other day I was looking on the, on the net, and uh, in Facebook, there was a couple that was, uh, had twins. And they had, like, Harley hats on, these leather Harley hats, way too big for them. And the twins had it on, and here was the caption, who let the dogs out, <laughs> you know. And uh, it was just cute. But the birth announcement in this story, off the charts. An angel makes the announcement. In fact, an angel visits the wife first and says this. says, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to the Lord from the womb. Need to understand the term Nazarite because it's going to be important throughout our series. Most of the time, a Nazarite vow was taken for a season, okay? Season of life. And it really meant to be set apart. And so what God wanted was for Samson, this baby, to be a Nazarite from birth to death. That was God's intention. And to be a Nazarite really required three main areas. A little more complicated than these, but the main areas was they could never touch anything that was dead. Didn't matter what it was. If it was dead, you couldn't touch it. You couldn't go near a corpse or a grave. It was considered unclean. You couldn't touch anything with grapes in it. In other words, no wine, no vinegar, no liquor, no raisin brand. I don't know if they had it back then, but you know, anything with grapes, couldn't touch it. And you could never cut your hair. No great clips, no mohawks back then, no frohawks. If you were a Nazarite, you did not cut your hair. Now, there was nothing magical in this. 
These were simply outward signs of an inward commitment. It's what the angel told this mom. This mom, she's excited now. She's going to be a mom. She tells her husband what the angel said. So he prays and asks God for kind of an instant replay. He says, "Mm, I'd like the angel to talk to me. And so the angel shows up again, tells the exact same story, the exact same way. And at the end of it, he asks the angel, he says, what's what's your name? He wanted to know the angel's name. And the angel wouldn't tell him. He said, you know what? You couldn't comprehend if I told you. And I I find it interesting because so many times... I have asked God question after question. You probably have too. And although God's not saying no to whatever question I've asked, God sometimes doesn't give me an answer either. You ever had that experience? I mean, sometimes I think that God doesn't give us an answer in our life because if God was to give us an answer, we couldn't understand it. Wouldn't make sense. If he gave us an answer, our infinite little little minds, I think, would blow a gasket at times. So things are coming along in our story. It says, He will begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. This boy is going to begin to deliver. Israel. You need to know Samson would not complete the task. All right? It took the the prayers of Samuel, the the military genius of David, to finally wipe out the Philistines. But this baby, Samson, is born to deliver Israel, to begin that process. I got thinking as I was reading this, that I wonder if he knew that. Because I have found in my life, many times I have done things, you know, and saw very little results. You know, sometimes I didn't see any results. I did something, I felt like God prompted me to do something. I had a conviction from the Holy Spirit that I needed to be about something. So, so I, I do it. And then I kind of question God. You know, like, hey, God, I, I did what you asked. I, I was faithful. But it doesn't seem like it made a difference. And here's something I have come to realize. Maybe it's just part of getting older. But sometimes I am just the beginning of the process that someone else is going to complete. You know, sometimes I'm just planting a seed in someone's life that somebody else will get the chance to harvest. But here's what I know absolutely. You've got to be faithful no matter what. No matter what you see, to be faithful through and through. Samson. Samson's born. He's born a, a man. He's born with this unbelievable strength. He's a, a, to be a Nazarite. In other words, to be set apart. Samson's born into this world, but he's to not live like the world. Sounds a lot like what we're asked to do as Christians. You know, as Christians, we are set apart. 
We're set apart. We're, we're in this world. We live in this world. But we're not of this world. You know, Jesus prayed that we would live in this world, but that we would be protected from the evil one. That we would live in this world, but not become like the world. In fact, he calls us to be the salt of the world. That gets tough sometimes. Because the salt, salt's only good if you get it out of the salt shaker. Only if it permeates the food. You know, when we're in the world, we're supposed to, as Christians, live in the world. But we're not to live like the world. You know, Jesus showed us the model. I mean, he spent a lot of time. Most of Scripture, you find Jesus, he's with people outside the family of God. In other words, he didn't spend all of his time in the holy huddle. You know, he, he ministered and cared for and loved the people that were around him, but he didn't adopt their values and he didn't adopt their lifestyle. That's how Jesus lived. He modeled it for us. That's how God wants us to live. That's God's plan for our lives. That's God's plan for Samson's life. That he would live in the world, but not like the world. Scripture says, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew. That's an understatement. He grew. I mean, this young man, physically, off the chart. You know, I imagine that when they brought him to t-ball games, he's like hitting 500-foot homers at t-ball. You know, kids are throwing rocks. Samson, he's throwing boulders, you know. I mean, he's supernatural strength. It was a marvel. The, the fact is, if YouTube had been around, he would have been a sensation on YouTube. It says, and the Lord blessed him. You know, God anointed Samson with this supernatural strength. God's hand was on Samson's life. And you sense that. Verse 25 says, And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. While he was in Manana, Dan, between Zorah and Ashtol. As a kid... God began to move in his life to stir. God's spirit stirred. How many of you have had God's spirit stir in your life? You can sense it. You know, God taps you on the shoulder regarding something. You know, the the Holy Spirit keeps bringing something to to your mind. And you can't shake it. You can't, can't get rid of it. You know, it keeps pointing out a particular area of your life where things need to change. And you sense that, you know, God pushing you in a direction. And he stirs your thoughts. He stirs your passion. Well, friends, God's got a plan for you. That's why he stirs. He starts stirring in your life really early. I mean, he's stirred in your life at times. When I, when I was young, God did a lot of stirring. You know, when I, when I was 13, God was stirring in a way that I knew I'd be doing what I'm doing back then. You know, God was stirring, and it changed my life. 
God was stirring in Samson's life. He's working. Samson is primed. He's ready. He's ready to take that stage. He's an amazing young man. He's got credentials that are unbelievable. He's the strongest person. Everybody knew it. Probably everywhere he went, he created quite a sensation. He he was handsome, we're told. He was articulate. He was a leader. Friends, he had the world by the tail at this point. He's a Nazarite. His parents, they're godly. They're encouraging him. They're building up his self-esteem. I mean, he really had it kind of a slam dunk, and then he hit the skids. And he starts to spin out in, in his life. Really, the story becomes very, very tragic. I mean, I read it, and I think, what happened? What happened? I mean, Samson, this biblical bodybuilder of a man, he got careless. I think he got careless, and he stopped shielding part of his life. You know, he uh, didn't protect his life the way that God intended. You know, he got careless, uh, and finally he just dropped the shield. You know, he just dropped the shield, quit, quit protecting himself. Scripture says Samson went down. The, this is more than a geographical term here. This is a spiritual direction that he's heading. He's going down. You know, Samson went down to Timnah. That is a Philistine city. Samson, remember, he's a Nazarite. Samson is to deliver Israel. He was superhuman. He's supposed to rally the troops against the Philistines. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, what in the world is Samson doing hanging out in Timnah? It makes no sense. Well, we're going to find out why he's there. It says Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his mother and father, can you picture this? Think teenager here. Samson, he races home. He can't wait to tell mom and dad. Can't wait to tell his godly parents. First recorded words in scripture from Samson, he says, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Imagine that. Lust at first sight. What's his parents do? Well, they do what good parents do. They try and talk some sense into the boy. They they like, Samson, look around you. There are beautiful, godly Israelite women that love God. Samson? Israelite men marry Israelite women. Why? Because God should be at the center of everything. God should be at the center of your relationships, Samson. Samson was a teenager. How many of you got teenagers? You ever talk and you go, are they even listening? Well, he wasn't listening. He wasn't going to hear it. 
I mean, Samson's desire ran counter to his parents' wishes. Samson's desire ran counter to God's wishes. They ran in opposition to his Nazarite vow to lead Israel against the Philistines. Samson, he's, he's pushing against everyone. He's pushing against everything in his life. His parents, they try and reason with him. He's not hearing it. And finally he says, but Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. You sense kind of the thumbing of his nose here at his parents' authority? Thumbing of his nose at God's authority? He was thumbing his nose at his life purpose, why he was born. Samson didn't keep the shield up in his life. Samson didn't discipline his drives. Did you notice what I didn't say there? You know, I didn't say he didn't dismiss his drives or pretend that he didn't have drives. He didn't discipline his drives. You know, drives are okay if they're submitted to God. Drives are God-given, but they are to be submitted to God's will and God's timing. You know, we're to be God-honoring with whatever our drives and desires are in life. There's nothing wrong, hear this, there's nothing wrong with Samson going, there's an attractive woman. That wasn't the problem here. The problem was he didn't submit it to the will of God. He didn't allow God to to guide him. He went down the wrong road. Do you know which direction the road is when it goes down? It's down. It's down. His desires ruled God out. His desires were a, a pivotal point in his life, and he starts this downward trajectory that's just tragic. And friends, I'll tell you from my own experience and my observation, down is always down. If you read through the entire chapter, the term went down, it appears six times. I think the writer wanted us to get this, to understand that down was down, that Samson is going down, that he's on this downward spiral, down, 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 down. He's starting on a road that would lead to tragedy. Last 30 years I've been in ministry, I have seen this happen over and over and over you know, talk to people that have spun out. You know, their life's in ashes. Talk to people that are spinning out. It always starts, if, when they go to tell me their story, I'll say, tell me your story. And it will always start with, they took the shield down at some point in their life. They quit protecting themselves. They quit monitoring things. And very easily could have start their story saying, I went down to Timnah. That's why I'm an alcoholic. I went down to Timnah 
That, that's how I got hooked on drugs. You know, I went down to Timna, and now I'm addicted to gambling. You know, I went down to Timna, and now I'm having an affair. You know, I went down to Timna, and now guess what? I'm going to jail. I've heard it from people over and over and over. I have watched it play out. Down will take you where? Down. It always takes you down. When you lower the shield and take it down, when you lower the bar in your life, when you lower your standards in your life, prepare yourself because you are now going down. I went down to Timnah. Lingered too long in a flirtatious conversation. I went down to Timnah. It was was me and the guys hanging out at the strip club. I went down to Timnah. It was just a little bit of money under the table. I went down to Timnah. It was there, right on the internet. I should have changed the channel. Began to hang out with the wrong crowd. I went down. Friends, we live in a society that is all about down. They will cheer you as you're going down. They love for you to get on that downward path. They hate the high road. They'll say things like, oh, oh, that's just old-fashioned. This isn't a big deal. It's just a little thing. What are you so uptight about? Just let down a little bit. Everybody's doing it. It can't be bad. And friends, before you realize it, you're going down, 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 down. You've taken the warning system out. Taking the shield out in your life. And what happens is when you drop this, well, matter of time, your principles get lower and lower. Your standards, well, they start slipping. And then your character goes down. And before long, priorities shift. God's no longer at the top. Oh, no, we've moved him down as well. And one day you realize that you're going down. I mean, the specifics differ. We all have our own story. But the spin is pretty much the same. It's not original. It is usually the progression. I mean, it's just the same each time. People, places, principles, potential. That's what happened to Samson. He he lowers his shield. He quits protecting himself. He gets careless. And so he starts hanging out in the wrong places. Timnah. He's in Timnah. And then before you know it, he's hanging out with the wrong people. And then... We're going to find out as we progress in the story. He begins to very boldly break God's principles in his life. And we'll talk about it in more detail in the next couple of weeks. But Samson, he's spinning. He's out of control. 
Samson doesn't realize that he, he's in a spiral. And ultimately, he will end up burning up a lot of his potential. God-given potential. Friends, it's what happened in Samson's life. And it's how it happens in our lives. We need shields up in these areas of our lives. We need to protect ourselves. We need to guard ourselves. You need to pay attention to the people that you hang with. The places that you go. You need to pay attention to, to your principles so that you're maintaining your godly principles. Their character, integrity, they matter. Because when we keep the shield up and we stay strong in those areas, do you know what you're protecting? Protecting yourself and you're protecting your God-given potential. You know, it allows you, when you stand strong and protect, it allows you to be God-honoring with your life. I mean, some of you, you're hanging out in the wrong places. And you would say, as you look at your life, you go, I started hanging out in the wrong places, and now I'm hanging out with the wrong people. Others would go, well, that's not how it happened for me. I was hanging out with the wrong people, and I ended up in the wrong places now. And what happens, it doesn't matter how you start, when you find yourself in the wrong places with the wrong people, pretty soon you're breaking God's principles in your life. You're wasting your God-given potential. I hear it all the time. I talk to people that have been down this road, and they look back and they go, you know what? I wasted so much. I missed so many opportunities. Friends, can I say something about opportunities? When they're gone, they're gone. There's redemption. God can still use you, but the fact is, some opportunities, you get one shot at them. And that's it. I think that's why Scripture spends so much time talking about our relationships being God-honoring. You know, God wants to be at the center of all your relationships. Did you hear that? All your relationships. Oh, I get a lot of pushback. I'll tell people, I'll say, you know, God's desire is that Christian men and women date Christian men and women. Oh, that's old-fashioned. No, it's what God expects. Because you know why? You know why God wants it that way? So that he's at the center of that relationship. You know, God wants to be at the center of our marriages. God wants to be at the center of our friendships. God wants to be at the center of all of our relationships. Why? Because God wants the very best for us. He wants the best for you and me relationally. You know, that's God's desire. He wants to be at the center so that we can communicate at the deepest level, so that we're on the same plane together. We're moving in the same direction together. God wants us to protect our relationships. Friends, when we don't, when you quit protecting, 
when you quit defending, when you quit paying attention, then you're going down. And down is down. And I know as I'm talking this morning, for some, this is a tough message. The, the fact is, some of you right now, your minds are racing. And you're going, well, this would mean I need to change some of my relationships. Some of the people I'm hanging out with. Or the way I'm hanging out with people. And, and do not misunderstand me. Because I've talked about we are to connect with people outside the family of God. I'm not talking about stiff-arming people. Okay? Mistreating people. You know, throwing people to the curb, going, oh, they're not a Christian. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying you can have those kind of relationships, but they need to be in a God-honoring way. It means your dating life needs to be with other Christians. It means the people that you're hanging out with need to be God-honoring. God needs to be at the center People go, well, how how do I know? Well, friends, it's real easy to figure out. You just ask yourself, is this relationship God-honoring? Because it's either God-honoring or it's not. It's not that complicated. And just because someone says they're a Christian, is the relationship God-honoring? Is it following God's principles? Because if it's not, then, yeah, there needs to be a change. I believe you've got to keep the shield up. I believe you keep it up in your relationships and you monitor your relationships because you're protecting your God-given potential. And God does have a potential that he has built into your life. And I want, I want to say something to parents. This starts when your children are young. You need to be the protector of your children. You need to monitor their relationships. You need to make sure that your kids are here on a regular basis. Why? Well, so they can learn and build a relationship with God, so they can learn how to protect themselves. And I'm going to be just flat out honest with you. It breaks my heart way too often. I watch parents, and they do the hit and miss thing, you know, because they got a lake house or they got a boat or they're so committed to sports or, you know, whatever. Wake up. Wake up. I cannot tell you how many times I've watched families live that way, and then there comes a point, and I get this call. They're like, Pastor, we've got to talk to you. I I don't know where we went wrong. I don't know what happened. You need to fix my son. You need to fix my daughter. And friends, 99% of the time, I track it back with them. They went down to Timnah instead of coming to church every week. They went down to Timnah instead of putting God first in their relationship and modeling how to love God and how to be a, a godly person. And so their son and daughter looked and go, well, they say they're Christians, but I don't know. 
Now, too many parents drop the shield, and they quit protecting. And let me tell you something, friends. It is a rough, and it is a very tough realization when you end up there. Eternity in the balance. It's the greatest gift you can give your child. It's to teach them how to protect their life and to be God-honoring. There will not be parents going, man, I had my kid and all this stuff, or they graduated from this school, or they did this or that. You will not be celebrating that in eternity. You will either be grieving or celebrating that you built a foundation or you didn't build a foundation in your kid's life and their faith. That's the only thing that's going to matter. Friends, what road are you traveling on today? You know, what direction are you moving? What direction are your friendships? That's really what we're talking about today. What direction are they taking you? I would challenge you to evaluate one by one each and every relationship. Again, don't misunderstand me. You can have a relationship with a non-believer. But the question is, is it God-honoring? Are you lifting them up? Because most people, that takes a lot of strength if they're trying to take you down. Do you have some that are taking you down? Because down is what? It's down. And down always comes with a price. And the price can be steep. And it can be very, very ugly. Do not fool yourself. You know, you can decide today what direction you're heading. You going to do this or not? Samson? He went down to Timnah. And it started a really sad, sad story of what could have been. And we'll pick this up next week. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Our holy God, you alone are holy. You alone are worthy. And God, I pray that we would keep the shields up in our lives. That we would protect. Protect ourselves from ourselves. God, that we would protect the relationships that we're in. God, we would protect and make sure we're on the right roads. And we're moving in the right direction. God, I pray for parents today that they realize how important it is. No, it's not popular. It's not cool. But it's right. It's holy. God, I pray that we would be God-honoring in everything we do, every relationship, everything we say, everything we think. God, forgive us when we've traveled down that road to Timnah. We've all been there. We may be there today. 
God, I marvel at your grace the times I've traveled down that road. Only you could forgive and love. God, may we be people of integrity. May we live and always honor you. It's all we say and do. It's in Christ's holy name we pray.